Welcome to the Wiser Wealth Management Roundtable. We believe the best financial advice should always be conflict-free. I'm your host, Casey Smith. Guiding you to financial freedom are my is my co-host today, Brad Lyons. Matthews uh, is out on assignment. Hi, Casey. <laughs> hey, Brad. Old habits die hard in the uh, intro there. Well, we're a team. That's right. Absolutely. Today's episode's about uh, where's the yield. And most millennials, if they're listening, probably won't get that because, uh, you know, even I was a little kid at the time, there was a Wendy's commercial that- uh, Where's with, the beef? With an old lady that was like, where's the beef? Talking about how meaty the uh, Wendy's sandwiches were at that time. So yeah, where's the yield is, I think, a really should be a really popular topic because um, that's probably the most phone calls we're getting right now, uh, other than the election, is- is about, um, you know, I've got money in savings and my bank's paying me less than a tenth of a percent now. Where do I put this money to go to work? And so you start looking across the yield environment and you realize there's no yield. Where's the yield? It has all but dried up and gone away. Why? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> when For a generation that grew up, and the yields were in the tens or even 15% on a treasury back in the 70s. And that becomes a person's mindset. It is staggering to see these yields down where a 10-year treasury is about 0.8%. 10 years, 0.8%. That means if I buy a 10-year treasury bond right now, I'm going to make 0.8% before the transaction charge by the broker to buy the individual bond. Right. That's terrible. And then you're going to pay taxes on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a whole nother story, but, you know, and then there's inflation. Which I think this year inflation um, could be under 1%. They're projecting 1.25. I don't think they'll get there. That's a whole story in and itself. Yeah. We could have a podcast on where's the inflation. Yeah. Uh, but that that's like a 10-year story at, at this point. So basically- you know, we have a situation where there's a low yield environment because there's really no inflation out there. And, you know, we we're talking about that a minute ago. Why don't we have inflation? And probably the simplest way to explain that is people are finding ways to not have an increase in their cost of living. And they're doing that, you think about through utilities such as uh, cable, right? People are cutting that $250 cable bill. They're subscribing to the internet and they're getting YouTube TV for 60 bucks a month or Hulu TV for less than that, I believe. So immediately they're able to balance out their expenses, but not being forced into higher price. Well, through the use of technology and the application of, of it in and of itself, we've been able to become more productive in our daily lives without having to spend more energy and more money in order to do so. You know, it's always been, it's, it's common knowledge that, you know, there's, there's more computing power in our handheld devices, our phones, than what was on the, the spaceship that landed on the moon. Yeah, the Apollo okay. program. That's right. right. I couldn't think of the word there. But that, you know, application of technology has driven out, squeezed out all the excess costs in production today. You know, what does it take to make an app? Yeah. Three guys, you know, over a weekend and, 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 and lots of Mountain Dew and, <laughs> and a couple of boxes of pizza, you know, and, and Monday morning you'll have an app that can drive out even more 
costs inside. Look, what does it take to go to a bank anymore? How many people have even gone to a branch bank anymore? I don't think you can. <laughs> well, COVID is part of it, you know, but but it, that has exacerbated, you know, the circumstance and shown ways to squeeze out even additional costs. I can deposit a check. I can request a payment all from my kitchen, which means I can go on to do other things. So that means the bank has should have less people processing that stuff and they should pay me more yield. <laughs> well, I think they're doing all they can right now. <laughs> <laughs> So let's kind of take the conversation back to portfolios. So as far as your savings account goes, my recommendation is, has always been emergency reserve is emergency reserve. If you want to go online and find an online bank that right now might pay you 0. 0.7, 0.8% yield, then do that. But I wouldn't put it at risk. I would keep it in an FDIC insured account because it's emergency reserve. You need that to be there in the worst possible uh, scenario, right? Right. Uh, so those dollars have have their own unique purpose. Yeah, and, and there's a cost to that. You you have costs for uh, availability, but you don't want to be out of a job, roof broke, H HVAC broke, uh, and the market's way down, and you've lost money. It'd be the perfect storm. So we we can mitigate the perfect storm by simply saying emergency reserve, whatever your number is, needs to be uh, sitting out there by itself. Now, let's transition that to the portfolio. So we work with, with a lot of retirees. We're managing a lot of assets for them. Um, and, and there's bonds in the portfolio that were seen as generating income, but that income is dropping rapidly. Yeah, it's difficult to get income from bonds anymore. So we made the, the the intentional decision to fundamentally change how we look at the bond portion of our portfolios, and that being to 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 decrease the risk of the volatility of the equities in the portfolio. So they're really a balancing factor in our portfolios, allowing us to try and focus our efforts for growth on the equity side of the portfolio, okay? And when you blend an equity portfolio and a fixed income portfolio, and from that take income, we refer to that as total return investing. Yeah, that, that's something that I think people, especially the older generation, have a hard time with at times, is that your stocks are generating income for you as well, but the price is fluctuating greatly. So even during a COVID drop, where we had this significant drop in the market, you're still getting dividends in the portfolio. No one pays attention to that. They're only looking at that short-term price return. The value of a stock is present value of future income, right? That's right. So That's right. Discounted back. Discounted and when interest rates are very low, as they are now, that discount rate is very small, making those dividend payments, out even out in the future, more valuable today, which dries up the stock price. So that doesn't necessarily mean that you need to go out and buy high-yielding stock necessarily. No, no, that's correct. It does not mean that you go out and buy the highest yield you can find. Even that is a balance. Looking at companies that have free cash flows that can cover their dividends still reinvest money into their business for future growth. There are dividend payers in the market, and then there are dividend growers in the marketplace. Dividend growers are companies that have shown that they can have the ability to reinvest in their business and pay a growing dividend year over year over year over year. And there's a group of them out there called the dividend aristocrats. And those are companies that have increased their dividends at least 20 years in a row, year over year. 
and are thought to be you know, some of the most high-quality dividend growers you know, in the marketplace. So they're out there. It's a matter of finding them. But even then, your portfolio needs to be diversified. We're, we're in a situation right now where we have high, the high-dividend payers aren't having a whole lot of price growth. Growth stocks have outperformed value stocks. So you have dividends coming from the stock, but you also have price growth as well. So you have to balance that out in the portfolio. And there there should be time periods where dividend-paying stocks are outperforming growth stocks, and growth stocks are outperforming these dividend-paying stocks, also called value stocks. The situation that we're in right now is that technology is taking off so fast, the technology companies. We're approaching, what, nearly a decade now of growth outperforming value, which is very unusual. So if you buy a value stock now, you you have to understand that you may have price un- underperformance, in the short term at least. Yes, and and that has occurred and it's probably continued to occur until the valuations in the marketplace catch up to them or the market investors begin to recognize the value, no, no pun intended there, but the value of that stream of income from those dividends in the future. But that brings us back to a what we call the, the diversified portfolio where we're investing for total return. You have growth companies, growth stocks, you have value stocks, generally known for paying a higher dividend, and you add to that fixed income that is paying its coupon payments you know, to the portfolio, and all that blended together to reach your income goal is total return investing. Which is how we handle it here at, at our firm. We're, we're looking at for retirees, we have a cash bucket system. So we're we're keeping, you know, at least two years worth of cash available. We we have some uh higher yielding accounts that we try to work that through so we're not getting zero off the cash. But those cash payments are going out on a monthly basis. So we can cover two years worth of income payments and allow the portfolio to do its thing over that short time period. And and that's very beneficial to the portfolio because you're not having to sell something in order to fund monthly payments. Especially in downturns. And downturns do occur, as, as we know. So by taking you know, a two-year you know, sum of money and putting it into a higher secure area investment, that allows the portfolio said to continue to perform as expected over long terms. Collecting Re- dividends, collecting dividends, interest, and price appreciation. Right. Which you you take times where you rebalance all that portfolio and then you fill back up that cash bucket in the process. Exactly. And when we rebalance, what are we doing? We're selling assets that have appreciated and using that money to buy assets that are undervalued, allowing them the, to appreciate in time. The days where we're simply putting a portfolio in and only living off the income of the portfolio, those days are gone. You can't. Yes. You can't, unless you have a tremendous amount of funds, it is possible to do that. But I think for the average investor, um, that would be very difficult right now. Yeah, it would be difficult to meet their income needs in that manner. I don't know that in possibly in our lifetime, if we're going to see interest rates rise to the level that we will see strictly income investors living off of the, the dividend and interest payments from those fixed income bonds or CDs from their their local bank. So there's a couple of things that people will tend to do when chasing yield. So if you think about if I were to loan you a dollar, Brad, and you're going to go down to the Coke machine and grab a Coke and you're going to, you got four quarters in your car and you're going to run back in and pay me back my dollar. That's a pretty low risk investment for a loan for me. Right. 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 Where if you said, hey, let me borrow 
10 bucks and um, I'll pay you back in 10 years. Well, you're probably just going to forget about it. Both of them forget about it. But that's a higher risk investment because I don't know where you're going to be in 10 years. I don't know if you have the ability to pay me $10 in 10 years or not, right? Right. And this is a very silly example, but the longer the loan is out, the higher the yield is because well, the higher the compensation you will require to loan me that ten dollars. That's right. In the event that we don't see each other ten years from now, in order for me to pay you back, so you're saying, well, but I got higher interest rate from him in form of payments over those ten years, so I got basically all my money back. But there's more risk. That there was more risk. That so we have to think about in terms of bonds. So. With the U.S. government, there's less risk, I feel, that the U.S. government in 30 years is default, right? So that's we see a little different yields on, on government bonds. Mm-hmm. But theoretically, the short term, you get your money back faster. There's less risk. Long term, government bonds would pay a slightly higher yield, theoretically, because it's a longer time period. A longer time. There's now, more uncertainty. Come out of government bonds, the next risk level is going to be uh, municipal bonds, still backed by local municipalities, but it's based off of tax revenue. And there is a real possibility that municipality may not be there. Harrisburg is a good example. Back during the financial crisis, mm-hmm. city defaulted on its bonds, yeah. right? So so we think about that in the short term, especially now in this COVID environment, the municipalities are going to be hurt the worst. Not yet, not yet, but if this keeps carrying on, you have less tax revenue. This rest sales and use tax, Right, less that's people eating true. out. So there, there's a risk there. Do they get bailed out? Probably, probably. But I don't know if you want to bet on that. Then to give it the next level, we're at corporate bonds. Now, on the corporate bond level, Coca-Cola takes out a loan that's pretty, fairly, that's pretty safe loan. But people don't pay higher yields on their bonds because they're just great companies. People pay, have to pay a higher yield on a bond because there's some risk that they default, right? So there's certain industries, retail being one of them, mm-hmm. that typically have to pay higher yield because of their margins, right? The margins are, are weak or there's something wrong with the company. Neiman Marcus always had higher yielding bonds, 14%. I think I saw it one particular time. Obviously, there's a reason for that, right? especially in this, in this, in this environment. Uh, so you have to understand that the longer you, the higher the yield, there's something happening there. There's a reason for it. And as an investor, you need to take that into consideration. Why is it higher? What don't I know about this company that the people who lent them money do know about this company? So we have to be careful because we're getting, to get a 5% yield, you're going to go to high yield bonds. You are today, which means there's going to be a lower, we use the word quality. There's a lower quality associated with that security. And those high yield bonds are just as volatile as small cap stock. And we saw that. <laughs> we saw that. We did during yeah. the COVID drop. Yeah. Until the government came in and shored things up a little bit, yeah. which I don't think they ever have backed high well, yield bonds. It was the first before. time ever that they backed high yield bonds. You know. So you have to be careful what you're doing inside your portfolios. If you're, if you're chasing yield and we have a major market sell-off for an extended time period, your safe, perceived to be safe bond portfolios can perform just like your stock portfolio. That's right. And that's difficult for, for investors to, to see. The old adage, you know, well, it'll be different next time, or this time it's different. The only thing that's different is the difference that somebody else is saying it 
this time. That's <laughs> right. All, when <laughs> when all the correlations of your stocks and your bonds go to what we refer to as one, which means they behave similarly, everybody goes down. You know when the, when the stock market goes down, even the short term treasuries. That's right. We're down. There was a but concern. They, re- they recovered very quickly. Yes. Uh, more so than the other asset classes, it took a while for high yield for high yield to come back. You know, another thing is is real estate. That's another place people will go to for yield. That's that's REITs are designed for that. So that that's a a part of diversification inside the portfolio. But our point here is just be careful uh, in chasing yield. There's going to be a surprise. I uh, just don't know when that surprise is is going to happen. Quite frankly, I'd rather be in small cap stocks right now than high yield bonds. I know that small cap stocks will recover, yes. right? Not always sure that high yield high bonds yield, recover. Right. Yeah. A default is a default. It's 100%. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that goes back to the, what are bonds for in the portfolio? Like why why would you even have bonds in a portfolio right now? Well, again, it's it's to to try and fit a a portfolio to a person's or investor's risk tolerance. Regardless of the amount of money that the re- portfolio is required you know, from from the portfolio, we all have our risk tolerance. We all have what we've referred to in the past as our our sleeping point. Okay? In order to balance that risk of the equities, we need to have bonds in the portfolio. So, what do we do with them? We we try and buy the highest quality bonds that we can, and then manage the duration of that bond portfolio, meaning manage the volatility associated with bond portfolio investing to interest rates. And the movement of the and direction of interest rates in the future. Now, with interest rates at set by the Fed now between zero and 0.25, pretty much the only way is up. We don't know when that up is, but pretty much so. When interest rates go up, they have an inverse relationship to the value or price of bonds. So you kind of have the uh, the seesaw effect. When one side goes up, the other side goes down. As yields go up prices go down. So we want to be able to manage that in a portfolio today. By managing that, we'll allow the equity portfolio to grow potentially, you know, in the future. And when we do our rebalancing, we'll take that excess growth in the equity portfolio, rebalance it, and if bonds are are a lower part of valuation in the portfolio, we'll buy more bonds. So basically you you look at TV, you see this massive volatility in the market. And if you insert, let's say, a diversified U.S. Treasury bond portfolio into that portfolio at half, 50%, you would basically be participating in 50% of what you're seeing on TV. That's right. Right? Right. So that's essentially where what the usage of bonds is in the portfolio. If you had the full volatility of the stock market, that makes a lot of people very, very nervous. You should probably have as much stocks in the portfolio as you can tolerate at this point, but for most people, they can't they, they, they can't deal with those wild swings. That's really the usage of bonds in a portfolio from our perspective at this point. And steering clear of high yield debt, uh, emerging market debt, right? And, and, and anything else that, that has default risk uh, in, in a situation where we're in where the economy can really sort of teeter uh, either direction. In a bond portfolio today, uniquely, we're having to adjust to the to the environment. A bond portfolio in the past was a set it and forget it proposition, and you adjusted your stock portfolio to the environment. Well, today, the bond portfolio requires as, you know, as much attention and adjustment to the marketplace as ever 
it ever has. And, and that's what needs to be done. So uh, we're looking at the whole thing versus focusing on one side of the, the ledger versus the other. And our friends at Vanguard have done a good job of helping us dissect um, these these bond funds that we're in and and helping us allocate all this because uh, it, it can get very complicated with the products that are out there. Um, there there's a lot of expensive products, too. And uh, Vanguard does that uh, very inexpensively. What's the cost of our bond portfolio now? I think it's less than uh, uh, one-fifth of a percent. I mean, it's really, really cheap. It's, it's very cheap, which means we're getting the, the the maximum performance from the portfolio. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, they've been good partners with us. Well, Brad, I enjoyed the conversation today. I think it yields something that we definitely can't be chasing. Uh, we have to accept the environment that we're in and then look at the stock market going forward as, as growth and income, probably for the foreseeable future. I agree. And that's the way we're positioned today. And we're watching out carefully. Thanks, Brad. Thank you. Wiser Wealth Management Incorporated is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and unless otherwise stated are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.